The Lord of the Rings. That is our new goal on the Beyond the Screenplay Patreon. Once we pass 500 patrons, we'll do a three-part series on the Lord of the Rings trilogy that will culminate in a special, uninhibited, Patreon-exclusive episode on the Hobbit trilogy. It's been several years since I've rewatched the Lord of the Rings films, and I'm pretty excited to revisit them and see how they hold up. So if you want to help us reach this goal and get to talking about Lord of the Rings as soon as possible, head to the Beyond the Screenplay Patreon to become a patron. The link is in the show notes. But for now, let's jump into our episode on Logan. Hi, I'm Michael, and welcome to Beyond the Screenplay. Today we are talking about Logan, the 2017 film written by James Mangold, Scott Frank, and Michael Green, directed by James Mangold. I am here with the Lessons from the Screenplay team, writer Trisha Arand. Hello, everybody. Writer Brian Bittner. Hey, bub. And editor Alex Cayeros. Hi. So we're talking about Logan because in the previous episode, we talked about children of men. And one of the videos we made for Lessons from the Screenplay was comparing the first act of children of men to the first act of Logan. And that video came about because people had been talking about Logan a lot and saying, you should do a video about Logan. And I was kind of resistant, like an R-rated super, like I've never been super into X-Men and like Wolverine's cool, but like I wasn't exactly pumped to go see an r-rated mm-hmm. wolverine movie mm-hmm. and a lot of the wolverine stories have been bad in movies and stuff but people kept saying it was amazing and so i finally sat down and watched it one night and i was like moved to tears at point like Whoa. it was just so good i was mm-hmm. like so surprised and thrilled and just really really enjoyed it and i happened to be reading this book at the time which i kind of talked about in the children men episode about creating character arcs and how to design the first act of your story and kind of looking at Logan and even rewatching it recently. I feel like the first act of this movie is so good. I think Mm -hmm. it's my favorite part of the movie. I agree. Yeah. Yeah. Watching it again, it was one of those, we we talked about in children of men, how that movie from start to finish feels perfect. This movie does hit some hiccups for me, but the first act feels kind of perfect. Like I was watching it again this week and realizing, yeah, I wouldn't change anything about this. This is hitting all the right notes. It's really getting stressful now because everything's adding up to this incredible like showdown at the, uh, what do you call the place they're staying at? Smelting plant. Abandoned. Smelting plant. Yeah. <laughs> just everything, it, it just, everything is set up so well to break out of that first act with so much momentum and so much, so many stakes. It's just really well done. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we talked about how children and men gets it all done in about an hour and 50 minutes and Logan or children of X-Men. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's, you know, it's two hours and 20 some minutes or something like that. And I just think like the first time I saw the movie, I loved it. And the second two times I'm like, eh, it's a little long and maybe you could snip a little, but other than that, I just think it's great. It really could be called children of X-Men. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it, it is about that. It's a lot of, a lot of similarities there. Yeah, there's no new mutants. There's no new children. Like, right. yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, and I like how it's, like, I think, in the last third of the video, Michael, or like maybe even in the wrap up part, you're comparing them throughout, but especially focusing on the first act. But then when you really get down into like the different beats of like, and then their their person who's protecting them dies. And so this person has to take over. And then it's it, you like really start to chart how similar they are in some ways. It's yeah, really obvious. Um, but obviously, like, I don't know if I would call Children of Men an action movie. 
So like when you really boil down the plot and you like put it into a premise sentence, which you do in the video, but like it's not an action movie. It's this sort of like difficult war drama almost mm-hmm. Children of Men is. And Logan is just action, you know, straight and pure and very violent um, from start to finish. <laughs> and, so. and a really, you know, one thing I thought over and over again watching it again is just how much they embraced the hard R rating. Oh, They're yeah. like, we are going to use this R rating as much as we can. Like, let's have some decapitations. So many. Let's <laughs> <laughs> Everybody's going to say, you know, drop F-bombs like as much as possible. Like, let's just do it. And I really appreciate that because it's so it's almost really cathartic Mm. to get to see these characters that have been in the necessarily slightly more sanitized, you know, Mm -hmm. in incarnations for the other X-Men movies where Wolverine is doing extremely violent things, but it's got to be pretty bloodless and maybe just like three holes were put in their chest. You know, He has knives in his hands. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. You never see limbs like being lopped off left and right in the original X-Men movies, but that is probably what would happen if a Wolverine person attacked you. And so it's fun to just get to see them almost go pulp with it. (laughs) Oh, very much so. Just go all the way. And I really both was, you know, taken aback by it but also ultimately gratified by it yeah. <laughs> well, the, the funny thing like you talk about that sort of the tone being similar to, to something like children of men something very sort of dark and r-rated and gritty that's something that's not, not similar. realistic sure ultimately, yeah. but, but which brings me to to my point which is something this is not similar to is the wolverine yeah which was directed by James Mangold and was co-written by Scott Frank. And it's just so weird that those two, it's like weird that the guy who did the original Mad Max also did Fury Road. They just yeah. such different, you know, PG-13 Wolverine. And like Darren Aronofsky was supposed to do the Wolverine and it was going to be R-rated. And then it wasn't, it just turned into like, okay, it was better than X-Men Origins Wolverine, but here's just another like fine Wolverine movie. Uh, and then it was like Logan and then Logan was Logan. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I think beyond like the more obvious r-rating things like profanity or violence there's also an emotional intensity in this movie Mm -hmm. that goes beyond like a pg-13 superhero film and it really pulls no punches like when when you meet professor x that first scene that first scene with him and patrick stewart is like heartbreaking like so many scenes are absolutely devastating and heartbreaking and the movie's like yeah we're just gonna do this and there's no comfort for you this is gonna be as heartbreaking as it seems well like when the family dies on the farmhouse oh. like everybody's dead yeah. like no and one it just gets happens away. so Innocent fast people yeah. yeah well and the film really is sort of this meditation on death right or like moving towards the inevitability of death mm-hmm. and so we know you can you can feel it even right at the very beginning. Like no one's getting out of this movie alive, probably, right? You you kind of have that sense of doom that hangs over all of them, which honestly is very Western, which, you know, we can talk if we want to more about this movie's Western influences, but Westerns are sort of necessarily about the death of something, right? Especially like the death of the gunslinger. Um, and that sort of like the changing times and how you get too old for the times and then you, you there's so nowhere for you to go, right? You feel that at, um, underneath it, in Logan's journey. And so it is very dark throughout. I don't know, just how the younger people who survive are then forced to cope with the deaths of the people that go before them. Yeah. It's also interesting, again, comparing it to Children of Men where there's, you know, Patrick Stewart is the elder father figure and Michael Caine is sort of that and children of men. And it, it is interesting that there's 
like the the different roles that the generations play where like mm-hmm. you know the middle-aged person is like the one that's cynical and has given up on the world and they meet like a young child that like offers the opportunity and it's the older people that are saying like no there's still hope and i, I just thought that was an interesting mm. like how that that's the role that the older generation plays in both of these uh stories it's kind of like there's a there's like a wisdom where that you know the older generation has gone beyond the cynicism and kind of has a wiser more profound picture of everything and the the clive owens the hugh jackmans are right in the middle of the crap you know and they're and they're not to that place yet mm-hmm. and and just like star wars and both logan and children of men like the the mentor character is then killed by the dark side event, uh-huh. essentially. And then that sort of helps the, the hero get the message, you know, and mm. it's, it's, it's just story arcs, normal story archetypes, but it just, it always works. <laughs> well, cause yeah, when, when Charles Xavier does get killed, it leaves Logan with no one, but Laura, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. his, I guess his daughter, right. Cause it was his genetics supposedly that helped yeah. make her. Um, and and that you you feel that in the second half of the movie he kind of has nowhere to run now she she's kind of forcing him to confront his shadow and he used to kind of quite literally yeah, yeah literally <laughs> his shadow but he yeah he he it seems like in the first half of the movie he when when charles is around he kind of has his old habits of like yeah old man yeah I, there's no eden there's no this like I'll just do this for the money. Let's get past this. And the world kind of closes in on him by the end of the film where he can't ignore, you know, his ghost, his mm-hmm. whatever, whatever <laughs> true word we want to use for <laughs> his weakness, his flaw, yada, yada. Yeah. Well, I, I think it, and again, Children of Men are both good examples of like the story forces the character mm-hmm. to change. Like there are yes. no other choices but for them to move forward. And they mm-hmm. resist it. Like so intensely, as strongly as possible. I, I counted like in the first act, there's so many refusals of the call. Like, <laughs> yeah, he refuses the call. Like and up until like the last second, even when they're being attacked, he's gonna leave without Laura. You know, it's like he's refusing it until he really can't anymore, and she reveals herself to be, you know, Wolverine Junior. Which that moment I want to talk about because like that was so the moment amazing. where because I was watching Logan and I was like this is fun and like X Men and like I've liked some of the movies but like I'm not like an X Men fan and then the moment when the claws come out and yeah. you, you realize oh that's who like like I teared up like I mm. cried and like I don't know why to this day but there's just something maybe it is just all this archetypal everything that's getting set up in that moment but there's just so much meaning and it's just done so simply that it was like a really powerful moment and then i watched it again with my girlfriend she also like weirdly cried at that (laughs) moment and it's like i don't know that moment yeah do you feel a real desperation in this world and Mm -hmm. i don't know when when there's moments of triumph in a world this bleak it's it's more powerful than in a movie that's kind of not as bleak there's anytime in this movie when like a superhero moment kind of happens it's much more potent to me Mm -hmm. yeah i said this in a previous episode just like i forget what movie i was comparing it to but the violence in this movie is so visceral there's something cathartic about it that yeah it does make me like tear up and i think it's also just daphne keen's performance and and hugh jackman's performance in in the certain in certain moments but it's just like there's something about it where i'm like i'm so happy watching you murder (laughs) (laughs) 
Well, and she's so badass. Like, she's yeah. amazing. The way she's like jumping across people and doing flips and, mm-hmm. and her like scream yell. That oh, she does. yeah. It's, it's so like, primal. Yeah. I just, that scene is so breathtaking because you don't expect it. You don't expect her to be that badass and that amazing. Well, I was trying to think about other examples in which we have young girls. So Daphne Keene was 11 years old. That's how old the character is supposed to be. So trying to think about an action movie. With a young girl. Kick-Ass is a great example for this, but yeah. I wouldn't be surprised if they were like, let's just make a better version of (laughs) (laughs) Kick-Ass. I like Kick-Ass. Sure, Um, but Logan's better. (laughs) I hear you. No, but we just, it's that sort of image, partly because it isn't realistic, right? So like you have to basically have an 11-year-old girl that has superpowers in order for her to be that badass or, you know, be highly trained or whatever. Something like Hannah actually comes to Mm, mind. Right. Um. But yeah, we don't often get those examples. And when we do, there's something so refreshing and weird and different about them. Because when you have someone who's so physically disadvantaged, um, on the Star Wars podcast, we were talking about the Yoda like lightsaber. Mm-hmm. I think it was in the prequels one, right, where he, Yoda fighting Count Dooku. And how delightful that is to watch the first time you watch it when you're just like, look at how little he is. But he's like, he's it's, <laughs> flipping he's around, flipping around. And it, but he's matched like they're evenly matched. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, there's something unique when you're when we're watching Hugh Jackman, you know, slice people up. You're kind of like, yeah, like, obviously, he, this is like our stereotypical action hero. And that's how he looks. And so. For me, that stuff is really hard to watch. So like the opening sequence of this where he kills all those guys by the side of the road. Scene. Oh my God. It's such a good scene. Though. I mean, I it talk is. talk about that, but yeah, yeah. yeah continue. But, but just the novelty of having people who are absolutely physically unequally matched. And so then the, the younger, smaller person has to rely on agility or like innovation, whatever it is. It's interesting. I mean, it's like, probably a pretty good lesson to take going forward like who could the superhero be does it have to be this like big hulking guy maybe mm-hmm. it's not it doesn't right. have to be a guy literally named huge jacked man <laughs> <laughs> when the, the build-up to that reveal also i think yeah. is very artfully that's what makes it that's what makes it so powerful oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah like i was getting almost like matrix vibes of like setting up trinity yeah. of like mm. they go inside and it's like no they're already dead detective like, right right like you hear the screaming and like there's just so much like build up that's just very very well executed she walks out with the head under her arm and you, right. but they don't cut in you don't know what it is yeah mm. and, the, and the opening scene with logan in the car like it also it it's not just hey it's an action movie here's some action it's this is what this movie is like yeah get right ready, yeah you know? well it's such a good I mean so a difference between Children of Men and Logan is that you know we come into Logan with years and years of like knowledge of what Wolverine is and what X Men is and stuff and so I feel like that opening scene is great for both just setting up who Logan is in this movie and also like this is the X-Men movie you're going to get. Like, this is who mm-hmm. he is now. And right. just like, he's old man, Logan. He's not just perfect. Right. And, yeah. and like every like shot, every like choice he makes, like we see him get shot with a shotgun and he doesn't get right back up. Like he's mm-hmm. taking damage and it's like, Which, by the way is brilliant. I think mm-hmm. having him, be in this degraded state right such a brilliant move he's because passed out drunk in the back of his own limo <laughs> yeah <laughs> but just as far as like a mechanic in the story oh, to yeah. have him not be totally invincible anymore is so important for the story because this is an x-men story where you actually are scared that bad things are going to happen that people might die and he's included in that because he's yeah. not invincible anymore 
and that was just yeah it's such a good move right off, right off the bat make him not the perfect wolverine we know and love who mm-hmm. can just get up from anything and we we see that where like he gets hurt and it hurts and there's damage done but still when the guys are attacking like shooting at his car he like jumps in front of the bullets because he's like no my car like he's worried about <laughs> like money and right. yeah, normal yeah, yeah, human yeah. things yeah it just like it sets up so much about him and the world like so efficiently mm-hmm. um, well, and, how, yeah, and how he really thinks of it. himself as kind of disposable you know the idea that like he would he's fine with his body being destroyed right you know? his car can't heal itself <laughs> right yeah and that moment where they shoot him and he's just like, oh, now I have to kill all these people. (laughs) He's just so tired. Like, he's like, man, I really wish they hadn't tried to kill me. Now it's just escalating. Like, oh, I have to do it. It's a great performance Mm. moment for him. And it does also set that tone of that world weary. You're looking at a character who has all of these powers, but then you're actually also sort of pushing them to like what are the disadvantages that come with this thing so like for the example he's still alive and no one else is Mm -hmm. that's awful that's a disadvantage of basically being immortal right Right. and so you feel that loneliness where it's just like all of the x-men are gone and i'm still here and i wish i weren't and then of course they take that sort of character design concept and make it literal with be him being poisoned by the adamantium like that's what's poisoning him that's what's killing him essentially and so his strengths and whatever are actually what brings about his downfall in this movie because they just yeah that sense of like if you could go on forever you wouldn't like it you know everyone has to have this like again that that gloom of death that hangs over this is because he wants to die we see it yeah, from the very right. first fight scene. Which is also a really like touching part of this movie. Oh, yeah. It's very um tough. You know, it's very tough issues it yeah. deals with of like self-destruction and yeah. really hating yourself and really hating what you've done in your life and feeling worthless. It's really heavy. And I love it for that. Oh yeah. When I love that the the moral and the lesson isn't like like he doesn't decide that he wants to live at the end and like right. then he gets to live happily at like he still dies but he dies for something he died like, yeah he dies for a cause for something bigger than himself yeah 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 um and i also like that you know when we talk about oh you've seen all the x-men movies up until this one and you know such and such this movie really doesn't rely on no, a knowledge of the x-men universe and i it, it didn't even occur to me until like i was finishing up making notes for this that like oh yeah we might talk about the fact that there are other X-Men movies because I just don't think of it as <laughs> right. this sort of like it's the final X-Men movie or final, you know, Wolverine X-Men movie. Um, but then it, the movie does have its own history. You know, we talked mm-hmm. last episode, I talked about the distant hills concept of these details that you don't quite know fully. And it almost feels like, wait, did I miss a movie? Because it's like, what did Xavier do? Like what right. happened? Right. I'm not sure. And you never quite get filled in on it. And that adds to the sort of upsettingness of it you know Mm -hmm. that the movie has its own internal history and then of course it references like oh it's been a long time since the statue of liberty or whatever like it might reference the original films but it relies more on its own history than it does assuming you've seen the previous nine movies or whatever well and one thing i really appreciated about them in this movie making it both feel very much not like a normal x-men film but also they still committed to the universe of X-Men and we get the fun superpowers by the end. You know, the kids have Mm -hmm. various fun X-Men powers. We, they use the existing elements of the world. Like Charles Xavier, you know, they 
the what if what if you had a degenerative brain disease and you're professor x what would happen and i love that um it's not vegas it's like oklahoma city the casino sequence when he's under attack that sequence is amazing it's such a cool sequence like what a great idea to like work that kind of a sequence into this movie because it's so different from the other just slasher you know traditional like wolverine going crazy slashing people in quick action it's a nice break from the constant hand-to-hand combat like and that's why i like in the scene that we were talking about where you know laura first walks out of the warehouse or whatever and then there's that whole hand-to-hand combat scene but i like it when it moves into the chase part of it like Mm -hmm. anytime that this movie is doing something other than logan takes out a bunch of dudes Mm -hmm. which is most of what the action sequences are not that they're not incredibly choreographed they're done so well they're done incredibly well but anytime it's it's being a little more inventive and doing something a little different like a chase sequence with a limo in like the middle of the desert that's what it for me is like when it is really cool and different and this the scene you're talking about too well i just remember during that chase scene even just at that point i wrote down a note of like this is just a really good movie not just a superhero movie, not just an X-Men movie. Like up until this point in this film, it's just everything has been executed so well. It's like it's the kind of action choreography, the way it's shot, the way it all flows is my kind of action. Like this is what I want from an action movie. And it and it just does it all in such a skillful way that's not relying on obvious CGI or obvious as I like to say, bouncy effects. Yeah, <laughs> it, yeah and there's yeah. there's a ton of CG, and it doesn't feel yeah. that way. Like even X X twenty four, I think is is yeah X twenty four, yeah right. evil uh, Wolverine. Like that's a CG character. Like that's a a younger dude with Hugh Jackman's face on it. And no, he played him too. Well, th- there's a shot coming down the stairs. Yeah, there's a video on YouTube. Just look up like um, yeah. Logan VFX or something like that. It's when he comes down the stairs and they look at each other. Like, oh yeah, yeah. Like it's incredible to look at the work that they did and just how real it looked it just looks you know and then the irishman two years later is like we could do worse (laughs) (laughs) hello listener michael here when i sit down to figure out what i should watch i often end up overwhelmed by decision fatigue there's so many options to choose from but there's also no guarantee i'm going to like what i choose mubi however offers an interesting solution to this problem Mubi is a curated streaming service showing exceptional films from around the globe. Each and every film on Mubi is hand-selected by a human, never an algorithm. From cult classics to award-winning masterpieces, forgotten gems to festival-fresh independent releases, from the hard-to-find to the never-heard-of-that-before. And their catalog of films is always changing, but never overwhelming. Each film is only available for 30 days and there are only ever 30 films total to watch. So every day a new film premieres and another rotates out. It's a great balance of curated selection and just a bit of time pressure to make sure you'll never spend more time looking for something great to watch than actually watching something great. You can try Mubi for free for 30 days at mubi.com slash beyond the screenplay. That's M-U-B-I dot com slash beyond the screenplay. If you were to just go to the website without using our link, you only get a seven-day free trial. But Beyond the Screenplay listeners get a whole month of great cinema for free. So again, head to movie.com slash beyondthescreenplay or click the link in our show notes to start your 30-day trial of movie.
In doing so, you'll be helping to support the show and get access to a service that I think you'll like. Thanks to Mubi for sponsoring Beyond the Screenplay. Well, yeah, like I feel like it's a good example of it's it's not about like it's going to look fake either way if you're like analyzing how real a thing is mm-hmm. or not. But it's how you use it and how you exactly. couch it and everything else. And I right. feel like this is such a great example of like, yeah, when you go and you watch those VFX reels, you realize oh, that's crazy that that was visual effects. I never thought about it. Now that I look at it, it's pretty obvious. But the way it's all put together, like so much realness is happening that it all and you're invested in what's happening. So you care more about what's right. going to happen than I'm not just waiting for the action scene to be over. I'm on the right. edge of my seat because I'm really invested and really care what's happening. Mm-hmm. So and yeah. he's a cleverly constructed villain with the bionic hand or whatever he yeah. has. Because you have to get around this thing of like, well, there aren't any new mutants, so he can't actually be a mutant, but he has to have some superpowers and in order for him to be any sort of match for Logan at all, right? And so that idea of like he's bioengineered sort of or like he has this like genetic enhancements or these robot, this robotic arm, it's just, that's a clever device. But then also they make him kind of a Wolverine fan, which is really interesting. Like when he when that first conversation when he gets in the car. I do love that character though, because he he's very distinct. You know, he's yeah. not just like the muscle. He's got that southern drawl. That drawl and, yeah, is it's, really yeah, cool. Something really enjoyable about his performance. Yeah, but there is that sense where he kind of wishes he were a mutant almost. I don't know. It it sort of creates that dark mirror in mm, some ways that mm. we talk about with villains sometimes. It's cool. And yeah. Also his death. Maybe the most satisfying death in like okay, it's just like it's just like all of all, superhero all movies, their powers the kids. combined. Yeah. Right. See, I kind of felt like let down by it a little bit. Like oh. I thought the build up to it was there, but I wanted like the Death Star explosion moment. Like okay. I feel like he's just like now he has vines over him, and now right. we cut back to and then he's just gone for the. You can't really see what happened to him besides grass over him. Right. Yeah. It's a cool like, idea. You just don't get that ooh moment because that's <laughs> yeah. not... he doesn't explode or right. something. Yeah. No, <laughs> I feel like I wanted him to explode. Okay, I mean, look at sorry. Michael wanted a blood explosion. All right. Look at every other death in the movie. It's like somebody's head explodes or somebody gets. <laughs> I kind of thought they were going to do the thing that um, the girl who can freeze people. I thought they were going to do a thing where she freezes him completely. And then he like explodes. Right. Like, like terminated. Well, like, yeah. like yeah. the arm. She does it to the arm. Yeah. She, yeah. yeah which right. is a cool moment. Yeah. Watching this film again, the character of Gabriella, the nurse mm-hmm. who's smuggling Laura what a wonderful performance. Mm. Just And it's another thing that sets this, sets this movie apart from the usual superhero standard fare because she feels like she could be in an Oscar drama. Yeah. You know, her scenes with Hugh Jackman are really... The, the intensity she brings to the performance, you really feel like she's been through something and she cares so much. The moment where he says, that's your daughter, and she pauses yeah. and then she says, yes... That moment is so brilliantly played because you get both of those layers in there. You get the like, well, she's lying. So that's sort of like the sort of surface thing you're supposed to pick up from the pause. Mm -hmm. But then underneath the pauses, I love her like a mother, though. So why not? Right. Mm -hmm. Right. And if I've been with her since she was a baby or whatever, then, yeah, I I am her mother. Mm -hmm. And so those two things are just built into that single word. And they're it's brilliantly delivered. I love it. I was like. Yeah, she is. Why not? You know? And I also just love the... It's. I totally believe this beautiful story of 
they hired these local nurses mm-hmm. to come work in this evil facility. And the nurses broke them out. And the nurses, so cool. Because, and I love the, what a beautiful human story it is of the nurses fell in love with these children they were raising and actually felt for them as human beings, whereas the scientists saw them as things. And and I love even the way she put it, like they thought we were too stupid or, you know, too ignorant mm-hmm. to like, you know, do anything but the whole time we were we were the ones actually raising these children and we actually cared about them and we're going to get them out mm-hmm. which what a cool story i have one complaint about gabriella which has nothing to do with the actor and nothing to do with the character when did she edit and do all the voiceover for the <laughs> she's a she, I, that's she's a fantastic editor yeah. and it's the only thought i was she, having that whole she time used on that. her phone right. just like in her hotel room i guess right, like, doing voiceover and editing like and iMovie yeah. with one finger yeah she here, used the hell out of like iMovie app on iphone <laughs> right. yeah. the killers are coming in to get her and she's like hang on give me 20 minutes <laughs> Almost done. No also, project. how did no one notice how much video she was taking inside this top secret facility? Right, right, is right. like my other question that I have when I watch it. It's like she's literally recording everything. <laughs> yeah. Right, and the sound is great. She's on the other side Amazing, of the wall. Uh-huh. Yeah. Like, got a mic on everything. Right. Yeah. <laughs> it's in the future. <laughs> but something you said, Alex. Uh, you know, Oscar kind of drama or whatever. When I saw this movie in March of 2017, I thought. All three of these main actors, oh, like yeah. they could get, you know, some recognition during award time. Like I mean, Patrick Stewart, Patrick Stewart's incredible. What Daphne yeah. Keen's incredible. Hugh Jackman is is yeah. you know he's like the the straight man, the leading man, but like still he does a, a phenomenal job. But guess what? I mean, first of all, yeah, it's a comic book type movie, so I guess it's harder. But also, the movie came out in March, and mm-hmm. you know, the award ceremonies are here's the best actor in a picture that came out in the past two months. This so. was nominated for adapted screenplay. For sure, the record. but like it did get on. one nod. Yeah, <laughs> not for any of the other. Like we we typically see our action movies getting nominated for sound editing, sound mm-hmm. mixing, special effects, that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, but I like the nod for adapted screenplay here. It deserves yeah. it. It's a great script. I yeah. agree. I just feel like that's why we're all at this table. Kippen more. Yeah. No, yeah. I agree. Just those performances. Are- no, they are, and Daphne Keene is just unreal for someone as young as she is. And I really love the move to make her quiet for most of the movie. She's able to be so expressive when saying nothing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. She says nothing for three quarters of this movie, and she's awesome. And when her voice does really come out, it's it. so adorable. Yeah. That first scene, <laughs> when she's just speaking Spanish at him really quickly, yeah, yeah. it's the most adorable thing. Charlo, Rito, Delilah. It's so they have the like the audition tape, I think, on the Blu-ray where it's like her uh, and Hugh Jackman, and they were just like these are your lines just try to annoy him as much as possible and just like watching her just like go and launch into it and just like the chemistry between them immediately it's like it was really really impressive that they yeah. found her she's just she's also amazing. like bilingual she's british and spanish you know so it's just like she's just yeah perfect i just think it could have been an easy choice to make her precocious right you know what mm-hmm. i'm saying like you right. could have made her really talkative and you could have made her whatever i like that they have her brooding like she has the silence creates this sort of like dark cloud around her. And it also gives you all of these question marks where like even when she in the gas station where she puts on the sunglasses and <laughs> she's just like, you know, tears that bag off, tears the top off the bag of chips or whatever. And she's just eating. It's kind of playful. 
But you still have that undercurrent of danger because not just because of what we've seen from her. Well, also that <laughs> the right before it, we've seen her screaming at the horse, the, the right. like mechanical horse that she's riding on. But but it's it's her silence, too, um, and how they don't give her anything to say. I It's just a it's a cool screenwriting choice. And I love her matter of factness. Oh, yeah. Even when she's fighting. You so know, mature. There's There's just this like direct matter of factness of like i will dispense with you and then you mm-hmm. and then you and like and when hugh jackman's falling asleep in the car she's like you're asleep now i Fine. will drive <laughs> move your leg i'm gonna drive <laughs> it's, yeah this is really really satisfying to watch yeah like a young a girl character be the adult in the room absolutely mm-hmm. there's a thing you get from child actors a lot of the time which is like oh i'm supposed to be you know untrustworthy in this scene so i'm just gonna glare and it's like she glares but you can just tell there's more weight beyond behind her performance where it feels three-dimensional and not like not like oh this is how smiling works and this is how the, you know. <laughs> right right i feel like that's that is what's so like scary about her is that there's like there's so much meaning behind her glares mm. that's like i don't have that much meaning behind my glare like, it's like it's the dakota fanning effect <laughs> you're too young to be this wise <laughs> right yeah. what's happening totally but but Dakota Fanning, and it's not nothing on her, but she mm-hmm. often did get cast in those more precocious roles. Right. And also, I love how this movie just absolutely doesn't make her cute at any point. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Cute is not a word that would come into your brain about this character. There's nothing cute about her. She's incredibly dangerous. And I think it is that introduction, when we even when we see her bouncing the ball out in the parking lot, she's just sort of like... Yeah, shrouded in. It's kind of scary. Right. And so much so that when she walks out of the warehouse with the head under her arm, you don't know what it is, but I'm like, that's a head. Like, (laughs) for sure, she decapitated someone. There's no doubt, even though you haven't seen her do anything violent up until that point. What a testament to the performance there. And I love uh, Boyd Holbrook's uh, reaction. They put this was in the trailer because this is why I remember it so well. She starts walking toward her. He goes, no, no. I feel yeah. I feel like everyone's reactions to her and and watching yes, watching Wolverine play dad is just so much fun. It's fun. I'm just like yeah. the when she's like gonna kill the cashier guy or whatever, and he's just like <laughs> not okay. <laughs> like, like it's just so much fun. Like there's fun in this movie also. Like despite yeah. it being so dark and dreary and dealing with all these heavy themes, it's also fun to watch and putting Wolverine in this situation. That we've never seen him in before. It's a fish out of water mm, classic thing. Watching. Also, we've talked about Wolverine's father figure, uh, Xavier. We talked about his daughter figure. We haven't talked about his wife, Caliban. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) Which I just love when he's like. Stephen Merchant. I love his performance. Trying to get the blood out of your shirts. (laughs) I know. I don't want to fight, but we need to have a talk. It's part of that first act that feels so pitch Mm -hmm. perfect. Their Mm -hmm. scene, their dialogue scene in that first act is also a brilliant piece of writing. Yes. Mm -hmm. It all feels perfect. And and again, the, the the performances are just so good. Because he's like he's dismantling Logan and like revealing all these lies. Oh, like, yeah. and yeah. it's such a like quiet matter of fact. Like it's so effective the way it's performed and written and all the things. So a character like Caliban could very easily feel like he only exists for expository reasons. Mm-hmm. But the way that this character is constructed, he has stakes in everything, and so he has his own. Life. He has his own agenda, you know, potentially like his own sacrifice, too. And absolutely Mm -hmm. his own sacrifice. And so that scene where he's telling 
Wolverine, everything that's wrong. He's like, I can see that there's something wrong with you. I can see the scars that aren't healing. I can see all of this. You feel that it's coming from a place of a real three-dimensional character because it doesn't feel like it's plain expository dialogue. There's actual conflict happening within the scene because Caliban cares and whatever, his fate is bound up with Wolverine. Whatever happens to Logan happens to Caliban. And so you get that sense of like, yeah, a familial relationship where when you're confronting a loved one, it's not just them that's like, going through something you're also going through something and Caliban definitely goes on a whole journey in this movie well I feel like Caliban in the first act he's he's really the caretaker you know absolutely and and being a caretaker for a loved one is extremely draining and is two loved ones really because he's trying to take care of both of them yeah and, Mm -hmm. and so you see that he he kind of loves them and wants them to be well but as a caretaker you just get exhausted and you're just like I can't hold all this you guys are not taking care of yourselves this is a disaster the medicines aren't working <laughs> he's staying at home doing the housework trying to keep the family together <laughs> yeah. while logan's out making money yeah. <laughs> and yeah, if you it, mess up the world dies right right like it's an even higher stakes right. version of but yeah just just what a wonderful character yeah. once again it's it's that oscar caliber writing where it's it's getting at like a real world thing right like, like being a caretaker is draining and it's a mixture of both love and just like depression and yes. frustration so wow just so cool an x-men movie can give us this <laughs> well, i love it and this brings me back to the main thing that i think about when i think about this movie which is scope like mm. for some reason when we have characters that are superheroes or space wizards or whatever it is like whenever we have characters with extra special powers or, or those kinds of things we want to tell stories that are about the fate of the universe and right. the stakes have to be just cranked all the way up. And it has to be about like, how are the X-Men or the Avengers or whoever going to save the universe now or the Jedi, whatever it is. And I love that the scope of this movie is so pared down. That is what I think we should be moving towards Yes, with our big action movies. Like why we... Because have seen that we people care. respond to character studies we care. of even extraordinary people. And, you know, sort of the earliest comic book example of this. I mean, Marvel comics really were the per- people who created this. But we've talked about, like, Spider-Man before. Why do we care about Spider-Man? Because he's a human. It's not because he's super. That's not why we care. We care because he's human. And so the more that you can drill down to find a human story, which might be very small in scope, I think the more that you get that heart that we really respond to. And Spider-Man is a teenage kid in school. He's yeah. not Tony Stark or Bruce Wayne as some billionaire. You right. know. And obviously those he stories. He doesn't have power already. Right. Yeah. Um, those stories can also be human, obviously. But I think that that's Peter Parker is one of those superheroes where he just starts as just the most underdoggy, regular kid down the street, you know, and that's a uh, that's it's easy. It's an easier place to start from, I think, to make a human story. Well, and it kind of ties in to something that I talked about in the Dark Knight video that we'll talk about later when we talk about the Dark Knight. But even in the Dark Knight, which is feels more epic in scope, the the consequences are still believable consequences. Mm-hmm. Like the Joker could win and it would destroy the franchise. Like there's a meta aspect acting on it. Right. right. Where when it's like, is the, the universe gonna die 
no. So, like, <laughs> right. Which is something that happened in The Dark Knight Rises that people didn't like. It's like once you have a nuclear bomb, the stakes almost get too big and it doesn't become this relatable character thing anymore in right. quite the same way. Yeah. Yeah. And Logan clearly shows that people will die. Like there will be consequences to things. And I always appreciate that when movies do that because then you actually get invested because you don't know what's going to happen. Right, but it's not days of future past where there's time travel and space Mm. portals and all of that stuff. This is so grounded. There are real consequences. Yeah, you can't can't reverse it. You can't, yeah. Yeah. It's also like, I hadn't thought of this until now, but coming off of Rise of Skywalker and Endgame where the challenge is how do we make the biggest movie yet? Right. And to make Wolverine's final movie the smallest movie yet is not only a very bold choice, but it's a very smart choice. Yeah, I just want to call out that the budget for this was less than $100 million. Mm. So it's still a big superhero movie, but it's not Endgame, which is $320 million. This is $97 million. It's much smaller in scope and budget and everything. It's just, it's a... It's a wisely approached entry in sort of the X Men franchise in a way that I just so appreciate. Like, imagine mm-hmm. if Wolverine send off had been in one of those huge movies where, like, that's where Wolverine dies in it, a space it, battle. It somewhere. wouldn't have been it as was. powerful. Hold on, it was. Oh, it's fair. <laughs> in X Men Three, and everyone hated it. Oh, yep. right. Mm-hmm. Ex- good point. I rest my case. Which is why I love Days of Future Past because it's like never nah. mind. <laughs> When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I feel like it should be pretty clear to the studios that the people respond to these movies, these more R, the R-rated adults, smaller. Oh, they got that message. Yeah, I think so. They got it. I hope that we can have more of these. You know, I know they got it multiple times now. And I, I think that it's only a good thing because these are the movies that actually keep me engaged. Like when the world's ending every time, I'm not engaged. And why not have a diversity of types of superhero movies if we're stuck with superhero movies for who knows how long? Let's have a variety. Let's have some of them that are these R-rated character stories. And same with, we're talking about Star Wars. You know, why can't Star Wars be diverse like this? Yeah. You know, it's Disney, so maybe not. But why not use these universes to tell different kinds of genre stories that are going to appeal to different audiences and movies that I'm going to be happy to go pay for because I'm not getting the same thing over and over again. Well, I think it was, I think Brian was saying in the Slack workspace, like, I would love a like a coming of age movie with like teenage Luke or Leia, like on their respective planets and nothing Star Warsy happens. And they're just like fighting with their adoptive, you know, families. Right. It's like, yeah, I'm here for that. Like, the, I was on Twitter and someone asked me about it. I was like, so Leia would be like Zoe from the West Wing. It's just like her dad's <laughs> like the senator who like literally becomes oh the president God. and at the end of West Wing, spoilers. Um, and, uh, you know, so she's dealing with like the political thing, but Luke's just like a kid, you know, bullseye and womp rats on tattoos. <laughs> Come on, I'd watch the hell out of that series. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, yeah. Anyway, I just, <laughs> I am looking forward to more diversity in like our big franchises or imaginary worlds or whatever that is like fantasy stories and things like that so i'm sure some of them will be bad 
But right. it's not it's not a guarantee of goodness. Right. right. But, but scaling it, up do, is also not a guarantee of goodness as we've seen, right? right? Scaling up, pouring more money, making something huge um in terms of like financial risk and therefore safe in terms of content, that doesn't necessarily yield a good movie either. Right. So instead of heading that direction blindly, why not reconsider? Yeah, I feel like just make good movies. Like they can be are they this can is be a PG good 13, movie, like, but like you can make a good movie. Yeah, you can feel that like time and effort and thought was put into crafting the story. Like there was so much love, and I mm-hmm. think you can really feel like they know it's Wolverine's lot. Like they wanted to make this special. It is, and it is, and also Charles Xavier's last movie. Yeah, and just Patrick Stewart's performance. Oh God, can we just talk just about it again yeah. for yes, a minute? Yes, let's please. Just the humanity of this man, Patrick oh. Stewart. I just love him so much, and. There's something so gentle and sweet about his presence in this movie. And he brings a lot of the comedy, too, actually. Mm-hmm. A lot of the lightness. He has a lot of range, too. He's he's going from sort of like doddering old fool to then like crying and resentful and sort of remembering what he did and having to come to terms with that and everything. You know, he's not a one-dimensional character. He gets he gets a lot of room. And his, and his love for Laura and his sweetness yeah. with her. And, yeah. yeah. And he when, just commits so hard to all of those levels, too. Yeah. Like, when you meet him and he, his mind is gone and he is, you know, that the old person that isn't really there. And like, it's so... There's just so much emotion there. He's committed so hard so that, like you were saying, it does create this whole range that just... It, it, I feel like I got to know Charles Xavier more than ever in this movie. Also, yeah. just because you see just the the entire range of the world that he's inhabiting in these last like days of his life, basically. Yeah. And I think we're used to seeing mentor figures that are incredibly powerful. So, like when you think about Gandalf or Obi Wan mm. or or somebody like that that is incredibly powerful. And then even when they die, it's like in this very badass sort of action-y way. Because they're Yeah, <laughs> because they're very powerful. Charles Xavier is so disempowered and lost in this movie that it it's so poignant, but it's also so realistic, going back to just like building a believable family. What does a believable family look like? Right, an actual family right. with an... With an- you know, a person who will die soon, whose, right. whose brain is degenerating. Exactly. And that, like, just the scene at the beginning where Logan is helping him into bed and, like, all of the stuff. He's, you know, like, no, you don't remember. You're, I'm not that person. Whatever it is, you know, addressing the memory lapses and things like that in just a very matter-of-fact way. Like, all right, I'm going to tuck my aging grandfather, father, whoever, into bed now and and just whatever. It's a scene that, like, many of us have lived but yeah. we see so rarely in our movies because it's not attractive. It's not cool. It's not sexy. It's not powerful. It's just this very difficult thing that a lot of us have to go through at some point in our lives of taking care of someone. Um, the It's really well observed. And I think that's it's going back to also like make a movie good, like make a story like that's what stories are supposed to do. Like they're supposed to teach us about real life and like what it means to go through these things and i think that's also what i love about logan is that it's using x-men to like tell this very human relatable story and i feel like in general that's when the x-men is at its best when it's kind of operating as allegory for lots of different things and the scene of course we have to talk about it where uh charles gets stabbed by x-24 in this after this emotional monologue mm. and it's 
like the most tragic possible right, <laughs> right. but like and, you could only give to like patrick stewart also and be like, right. you're gonna talk for two minutes <laughs> uninterrupted and make this feel organic and powerful and then he does it and it's really sad that logan doesn't hear that monologue yeah but i also right. but i also love that when logan like talks him in at night he says like this is the happiest day i've had in a long time like he's mm-hmm. still he, he does hear that part right yeah mm-hmm. Ugh. Mm. i wasn't ready for it because right so like in fairness i didn't see this movie in 2017 i i saw it recently and i was not ready for that moment somehow i had like slipped by me in pop culture or whatever and i was like very i no idea that that wasn't logan mm. and and you see it in patrick stewart's performance where he's like i just got stabbed by my most trusted person and yeah. trying to make sense of that mm-hmm. what does that even mean and i feel like that is my only complaint about the moment and kind of the second half of the film is that it it starts to get a bit muddied with that mm-hmm. where like i feel like his monologue is robbed a little bit for me because i'm trying to figure out wait that's logan but it's not logan and like mm. like there's complications being added in that moment and I, I think it still works but i remember kind of having to do a lot of mental work about okay wait so they made a clone of him and he's best back and it just there starts to be a lot going on and maybe it's like a little on the nose for me that it's oh, it's, it's bad logan and all these mm-hmm. things i think it's all good i just remember that being a moment where the movie shifts a little bit from I've been on this amazing, perfect ride, more or less, so far. And now there's bumps in the road that are just giving me... It's It stops being perfect, is my criticism. <laughs> right. For, for me, the moment it stops being perfect is when things start to be a little bit convenient. Like, like in Children of Men, when they have a similar respite, it's when they go to see Jasper, who mm-hmm. is a previously introduced character who already has meaning in the story. But in this movie, we have to introduce a whole new family in the midpoint, introduce their like particular family problems with like the neighbors who are like turning off their water and the politics of the world where they've been bought out, yeah. but they still have a lean on the water. It well, gets really messy right it's, there. It's yeah. a lot of like exposition that doesn't pay off beyond that, that like 10 minutes of the movie. And I just I don't understand why they couldn't figure out maybe a tighter way to accomplish the same thing of yeah. giving him a moment of family or respite maybe with a more known character or something somebody was introduced earlier like children of men because i i remember when they like randomly have to pull over because of randomly bad automated trucks which by the way is the most offensive part of this movie i do not like the way they portray self-driving cars like they're, they're, <laughs> like they're, they're, they're supposed to be safer but they're like super dangerous right. apparently it's like what come there, on there's the horses all survive somehow so it's fine yeah. there's a, i was actually super worried about those horses yeah. there's a really offhand comment as they're walking to like go check the water later where he's like do you think the automated trucks were the doing of this company that like doesn't like you oh, it, really? yeah oh. like maybe that's why they like swerved into your truck Anyway, but that was the, that's the moment where the movie stops being perfect for me because it's like this is too convenient and like Charles says you got to help them and they're like come over for dinner and like you got to stay the night you must stay like it, I don't it just all felt too contrived in a way that the rest of the movie hadn't to that point. Even the final act where they do make it to that outpost where all of the young mutants are. Yeah, I wish there was a way that that also could be neatened. I was like they just made it there. Logan's like mm-hmm. passed out, so she manages to drive them there somehow, but they like then they like pull him up on this stretcher and they have like, a stretcher have, for have, that. Have like, they used this for like yeah, other like, like supply many, runs or how many people have they lifted up on this stretcher up the side of this cliff face? Does this happen a lot? Like I don't know. And then of course when he wakes up and you see that syringe there full of magical 
green green yeah. goo yeah. stuff that makes I'm you just crazy like, and it says only take a little at a time like he's taking it all like <laughs> it starts to get a little bit comic booky yes yeah. comic booky at that point um but I think again, the character work is done underneath of it, and so you're, yeah. you're yeah. still and, super invested. And some of my favorite moments are in that part of the movie, like when he wakes up from his nightmare. Oh yeah, the scene, the dialogue he has with Laura, mm-hmm. where she finds his adamantium bullet, and you know his uh, Hugh Jackman's performance in that scene, where he's giving her advice about you've killed people, you've done bad things too, and you're going to live with that now. You know no matter how many bumps there are in the road, the movie always comes back to these core themes and it, it continues to just get back on track. So yeah. even though I have these qualms, it, the movie at its core is very solid. And it's all done in service of, like you said, setting up something that does pay off. Like yes. right. all the way to the final shot of the movie, which is just like amazing and beautiful. And such, it seems so it's obvious. It's so brilliant. Yeah, but it's brilliant. also just so <laughs> powerful and meaningful. Yeah. yeah. I don't know if you guys have seen Shane recently. Um, or ever. Shocking, Michael. <laughs> <laughs> the movie Shane is obviously an influence on this. And so I think there's, there is um, taking sort of a form, you know, nothing is new under the sun. So anything that you are writing, something is sort of out there that's like a, a decent comp for it probably. I like it when it crosses more into homage, though, which this feels like it does, where you have the scene. It's set up earlier because a lot of the plot elements here are, again, classic Western. It's or not classical Western. We don't have to get into Western subgenres, but like <laughs> Westerns, many of us have seen. And so, yeah, some of the a lot of these themes and forms are, are already baked in there. But then to actually call them out and be like, we understand that this is a Western this is actually quite similar to this particular Western about trying to protect young people um, from the damage that they might, you know, inherit by like wanting to be tough or whatever. Or like, because that's Wolverine's whole thing. He has too much armor, right? He's not willing to open himself up to love and family and stuff like that. And the only way that you are able to open yourself up is by not hardening yourself. So all of the scar imagery in this, where like every single scar on Wolverine's body is a symbol of another way that he has like sealed himself off from things. And so you're not going to be able to protect Laura from killing people. We've already seen her do that a lot, but you can possibly protect her from being as hardened to others, right? And like mm. still ma- maintaining some kind of core of kindness. And that's what Shane is about. And so when she delivers that final monologue of directly out of Shane, it is highlighting like, look, we know that this kind of story has been told before. And we're going to point out this is the theme that we're, you know, it's it's just, I appreciate that. It's borrowing from film language quite literally in the exact words of a film mm-hmm. that has gone before I mean, in a meaningful way. It's kind of just saying like, it yeah, this is Shane. Of, We're just doing it. Yeah, it reminded me a lot of um, the eulogy in uh, The Dark Knight Rises because when they think Bruce Wayne has died at the end of The Dark Knight Rises, she doesn't read anything out of the Bible or who it's Alfred or whoever it is, uh, Vox, doesn't read anything out of the Bible. They read the last like paragraph of A Tale of Two Cities from Charles Dickens because they're calling attention to a literary property that has gone before that is very similar in plot and theme. 
So I don't know. I like that a lot. I think the other side of that coin is that comic books exist, like X-Men comics exist oh, yeah, exactly. in this universe, mm-hmm. which I like as a sort of, I mean, I just like it as a concept, but I also like it as a sort of way of, it almost makes it feel more real to acknowledge the yes. comic world because he, you know, when he says this is all made up and everything, that makes it feel like, oh yeah, we're not in X-Men 3 land Well, anymore. I, I <laughs> like, love it because it also can, it can tell you to read the previous X-Men movies as the tales Right. That were being told in oh, yeah. this actual realistic world. Right. Hmm. This is the real X-Men world that is not the polished PG-13 version. This is what the kids read about, which I just, I love that meta aspect I hadn't to thought it. about it that way, but I like that mm. as a reading. Yeah. Yeah. He's like, maybe half of it happened and the rest is all lies. And right. he says something about like, yeah, you know, you, nothing that somebody in a leotard can do. Like that right. sort of shade throwing on like the sanitized comic book versions. Yeah. Which is amazing. Explain why different actors are playing the same people, even though they're definitely sure. the same age. They've right. been the same age for twenty years. Because <laughs> Wolverine ages slowly. There's an amazing like clip that you have to find on the original X Men DVD by like doing a bunch of you know running through a maze or something, and it's just Hugh Jackman in the full yellow spandex, and he's just running through the hall, and he's like, Gene. <laughs> I love that Hugh Jackman too has a sense of humor about his own career. Oh my gosh, it's so yeah. refreshing. He's one of those. He's one of those iconic. You know, like uh, Harrison Ford is Indiana Jones or something like that, mm-hmm. where it's just like he is Wolverine. Like absolutely, yeah. yeah. And it's Se- seventeen years. Something it's something like crazy. It was, it was something yeah. like that. Two thousand, yeah. I think, was X Men. Yeah. yeah, he is. Uh, I was reading this. Apparently, the actor who has played a comic book character for the longest in film history. Mm. Wow, sense. he has a record, and it's so great that he got to finish it like we're going to finish it i'm choosing to do it and just going out on this high note is just awesome you couldn't have a better finish for the character you really couldn't yeah Mm -hmm. hi everybody it's trisha if you like listening to this podcast as much as we like making it for you we could really use your help in a couple of really important ways First of all, you can support us by writing us a review on Apple Podcasts. It really helps us get more ears on the channel, which could help us bring on more people. It would be a really nice thing to do, and we would appreciate it. The other way is to join us on Patreon. If you become a patron for only $2 a month, you get access to exclusive content. And it's also one of the best ways to interact with us, and we'd love to hear from you. So please join us on Patreon. And now back to the show. Why don't we go around and talk about what lessons we're going to take away from Logan? Brian, do you want to start us off? Uh, sure. It's it's really what we already talked about, which is that, um, you know, we talked about in the Star Wars podcast, and Alex, you talked about it plenty, which is taking those different takes on things and franchises. But also, I think the thing to take to extend from that is then keep that world consistent, you know, because mm-hmm. I think it's like, yeah, we can talk about Logan or Dark Knight as being like, okay, they did this gritty thing and they and they did it well. But also there's Thor Ragnarok and Deadpool, which, yeah. <laughs> you know, we're just like, look, we decided to do a very specific thing and we stayed consistent with that. And that's what we went for. And I think that like, that's, um, that's where we sort of movies sort of feel off to us. And, you know, I don't want to always pick on the DC universe, but it's a, the, the easiest example, which is just, we tried to be gritty. You know, I said this in a previous episode, but like we tried to be gritty, but we also wanted to be over the top and bouncy to use Alex's phrase. Like, <laughs> um, it's just like, we're trying to do too many things. And I think that like, it doesn't just, it, it's not just let's be gritty. It's no, let's find something. First of all, hopefully that hasn't been done before because, that's a problem with 90% of comic book movies as we've already seen it before. Um, but also let's, whatever that thing is, let's just 
kind of tunnel vision it and stay true to that. And I think that that's, that's something we're seeing more and more and it's exciting. Yeah. Awesome. Alex? I think one thing that I took away from this viewing was the power of withholding Laura calling him daddy for mm. the death scene. And just you could have had an earlier scene where they like reconcile and become father and daughter. But just withholding that acknowledgement and that connection, him saying, oh, this is how it feels. Her calling oh, him daddy, like saving it for that very last moment and not giving us really any of it earlier in the movie is just such a powerful choice. And I think that's just the lesson I'm taking away is even if it feels like painful to not give the characters, you know, this connection, this catharsis until their very last moments, like it's almost not fair to Wolverine. Like he should have more life mm -hmm. with his daughter, you know, daughter or surrogate daughter, but it's better and more powerful in the movie. It's going to make me cry more if you save it until he's about to die like five seconds later. That's just, you know, just do it. Go for the most painful, tragic thing. So that's my lesson. I like it. Just going back a little bit to Caliban and thinking about how in action movies, especially when we are putting them together, I think writers, and I, I'm just as guilty of this as anybody else probably, start to treat characters like chess pieces on a chessboard. Mm -hmm. um, like, I'm going to move them around in whatever way like leads me to the goal that I have, um, and they don't need to have motivations of their own. I'm moving them, right? <laughs> and so I love the approach to every character in this. That's why I you know, called it out earlier, Boyd Holbrook um, as the, the villain, and um, Caliban especially, but like all of the characters, even um, Richard E. Grant as, yeah. as Xander Rice, I guess is the character name, but he's awesome. I mean, I love Richard E. Grant anyway. All of these characters feel real. The things that they are doing feel motivated, and um, especially with Caliban, but with, with basically everybody, no one is going somewhere just because they need to conveniently for the plot. Like it feels like the plot is almost... The, the beautiful organic result of the question of, well, what would this person do next, right? Instead of saying, like, I know where it's going. I'm just, like, plotting it, you know, um, soullessly. The characters all feel like, oh, the, the thing that they're doing next is logically what this person would do in this situation. And so just highlighting all the, the design of the supporting characters and how well lived in they feel. Yeah, definitely. Michael? I keep focusing on the first act. And what I appreciated this time also is how long the first act is. Yeah. It's like 40 minutes or something. And it kind of reminded me, you know, mentioning Scott Frank wrote Minority Report. Minority Report also has a very long it does. first act. <laughs> and I think I've realized I really like long first acts. Like if they're very, if they're well constructed, I just appreciate taking the time to build the investment and then also build up the momentum to send us into the second act exactly the way you're supposed to do it and so i think i i this is a movie i'm probably going to watch the first act of a lot to really um, take those pieces apart even more uh to just track all the different ways they set up everything and really make us feel where the character is so that we understand the importance of the journey and i, I think this movie just does that really really well because in both minority report in this movie it's so meaningful mm -hmm. when they set off on their journey it's right. not just oh it's time for the movie to start let's get going it's there's so much meaning in that moment and and when that moment happens you 
get it. Like there's so much meaning and it's been so clearly conveyed that as soon as it was inevitable, it was going to happen. Yeah. Like here and it you comes. Understand. Well, now I know what they have to do because of all the things, which I always really appreciate. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cool. Let's quickly go around and say what we've been watching recently. Brian, I'm going to start with you again. <laughs> all right. It was hard for me to pick one because I've been burning through all the 2019 films that I missed. Uh, like, for instance, I watched The Boy Who Harnessed the Wind, written and directed by Shuatel Ejifor, a.k.a. Luke from uh, Children of Men. Mm. But instead, I'm going with Fighting With My Family, written and directed by Stephen Merchant, a.k.a. Caliban from yes. Logan. Um, and uh, it's a, a movie by WWE Studios. Yes, that WWE. Uh-huh. Uh, and it's about the uh, it's the story of the wrestler Paige. And you would think, okay, that's a movie that matters. Is is good? <laughs> like, uh, but it is. It's uh, her parents are played by uh, Nick Frost and Lena Headey. Vince Vaughn is her coach. Dwayne the Rock Johnson in the role he was born to play as oh. himself, um, and Florence Pugh as Paige. Who that's the main reason I want to see this movie. Yeah, exactly. Seriously. And she's she got nominated for Little Women, and it's literally my third favorite performance of hers this year. <laughs> and so... it's a great performance. Yeah, and I think that's my frustration with Oscar films. It's like, oh, the best of every single category happens to be these same. 10 films like how convenient right why can't it be spread across like why can't she get an oscar nom for midsummer even if that's not going to be nominated right even if people categories. like oh this isn't an oscar worthy movie it's like okay yeah. is it her does per- happen here and there well, occasionally happen, yeah. but it's all but here and there like it's the it's yeah. not it's the, just it's the politics and the you know right multi, whatever this is not an oscar podcast no nope. yeah. <laughs> um we should do one of those <laughs> should or, we? or should we <laughs> <laughs> but uh but yeah it does not feel like a hey we're making a movie about wrestling it feels like a british comedy slash drama with an amazing lead so check it out awesome trisha i recently for reasons unknown watched bringing out the dead which is martin scorsese's 1999 ambulance driver drama with nicholas cage and patricia arquette and um, a lot of other people with Nicolas Cage, Patricia Arquette, Ving Rhames, and John Goodman, um, and a lot of other really awesome people in it. And it's really interesting because it's so moody. Like, it feels film noir-y. Like, there's all of this voiceover and rain, and Nicolas Cage is acting like a detective, essentially. But it's this ambulance driver drama thing, and he's so burned out. He he really is sort of like a hard-boiled private detective kind of guy. Um, it's just really interesting tonally, especially for a Scorsese movie. I like watched it back to back almost with The Irishman, like two nights in a row. I watched The Irishman and then I watched this, and I was like, "What does one make of this filmmaker?" Um, really fascinating movie. Uh, I'm a little obsessed with it right now, just because it's <laughs> so bonkers. Like Nick Cage is at his most bonkers. Um, but like it so works in this movie. He's so well harnessed and cast. Anyway, yeah, and yeah, the, the tone of the movie is like fits Nick Cage. <laughs> yeah. So I watched The Irishman, and and then actually I watched Valley Girl, and then I also <laughs> I watched nice. this. So just it, wild to really think about these careers um, that we've gotten to like witness. So yeah, it sort of explore all the corners of it that you maybe haven't yet. It's really interesting. Awesome bring out the dead all right mm-hmm. alex this is kind of an unusual one i discovered the pbs documentary kind of news series frontline which I've, mm. I've seen before but i realized they have these feature-length documentaries basically for free on youtube and they are very straightforward they're not you know they're not art films they're just straight up like investigative documentaries but they're so good. They go really in depth on subjects and they're free because it's PBS. They're just free on YouTube. 
and they even share like the raw footage of their interviews. It's cool. really cool. So their latest one is called the um, America's Great Divide, and it's like a four-hour documentary series. It's like two parts on YouTube. I've heard of this. Both two hours, and it's it's just. It's amazing to me what they do because they pump these out pretty frequently, but the work that must go into them is insane because they they really chart these big picture stories starting from like, you know, this one starts from the beginning of the Obama presidency till present day. And it charts just step by step, you know, how we got to here and wow. what is going on and, and like what the narratives are on all different sides. And they have a wide range of interviews, everybody from like Megyn Kelly to like Obama administration officials and you know uh steve bannon and it's just it's it's amazing the access they got and the story they tell about just like america right now Whoa. so just i don't know much other material that's like doing that and it's free it's on youtube so check it out frontline on youtube lots of good stuff it's cool that they share the raw footage of interview i feel like that's something yeah. i've always wanted yeah. documentaries to do is either that or like show me the time code yeah of what like of the interviews that I know when you're like cutting yeah. like sentences together. But, and what's like, really cool about the raw footage is that it's just, it's not cutting back and forth to the interviewer. It's mm-hmm. just on the subject and it just, it's just the raw footage on the subject, just that angle. Yeah. And you hear the questions being asked off camera and they're like listening and reacting and how they That's cool. respond. That's yeah, amazing. It's very cool. Michael. I recently saw 1917 with Alex. Alex and I went and saw it. And it's a really interesting movie, and I feel like I want everyone to go watch it and then come back and tell me what they think. I'm seeing it tomorrow, so okay. no right. spoilers, I please. Be, that. Don't ruin it. But you know the premise yeah, yeah, of it how is, it's yeah. made. I'm bringing it up because we just talked about children and men and the mm-hmm. idea of long takes, and I talked about you know the idea that stitching them together sometimes bothers me, and I feel like this movie just reinforced that where it was really distracting to me how they stitched it all together. And I walked out and I was like, I think that movie could have benefited from editing. Like, I think it would have been totally fine to have editing. Um, I know. I like that one cut. Right. (laughs) Exactly. That was my favorite part of the movie. So I I don't know. I, I, but I, everyone that I've talked to really, really loves it. And so I think this is solidified that this is very much a me problem. And I'm probably one of like 10 people in the world that's watching just waiting to see when they're stitching you're like it. you're like studying the frame to see mm. where the connections are happening yeah, yeah. but <laughs> but i really feel like it it was less effective because of this like over commitment to this thing but again i think it's a very specific me thing well but here's what i'll say about that movie is just would it be a really good movie if it was just a normally edited movie and I, th- I think the story would have just been fine. It would have just been an average movie. So I think what makes it stand out is just that choice. And that's not what should make a movie, which starts to people use the word gimmick a little bit, you know? I have not seen it, but I've seen some like, you know, just videos that have been circulating about behind the scenes and how they created everything. And it looks mind-blowing. So it's, like, oh, it's impressive. So yeah, it's so if, impressive. If it were just like, even if some of those shots were four or five minutes long, which they yeah. are, you know, like sort of the children of men length, mm-hmm. even the work going into getting all of that stuff practically and the oh, performances, it's like, yeah. I would, it's I would assume incredible. it's incredible. Right. I'm talking about the story. I'm saying, would the right. story be gripping and fascinating well, if... Well, I will tell you when after <laughs> I see it tomorrow, tomorrow, Brian. I kind of land in the middle where I think... I'm kind of with Michael in the sense that it was it was a cool experiment to see a movie that tries to at least give the illusion of 
true continuity through the entire thing except for one moment in the middle but there were moments where i i could feel like they were committed and they were in and it had to it had to be one take and it had to feel like one take and so there's no way to get around it and it was like well they probably could have trimmed this part and it probably would have been better if we didn't have to like sit in this truck and wait for them to get to the next place so i i i was feeling that thing where in children of men it's so effective to do those long takes because they're for a specific purpose in a specific sequence and to do a whole movie that way just because it's like the birdman thing this is not the same as birdman but i don't know i don't know if i'm that into it i think i'd rather have like big chunks of a movie be long takes where it's like really appropriate and then it's okay if it's not it's not all a long take let's circle back and discuss it later sure what you were just saying trisha i think is kind of the thing where what went into the making of it is extremely impressive and that was another thought i was having walking out was like i wish i'd watched a two-hour documentary about how they made the film i think i would have enjoyed that more than the film they made so but again i think that's (laughs) it's a me thing Everybody I talk to is like, Loves it. this movie's freaking amazing. Yeah, so They're blown away. I want to hear what everyone yeah. thinks about all this. Let me know on Twitter. Uh, <laughs> cool. Oh, they will. Awesome. This has been our conversation about Logan. Let us know on Twitter. Any and all thoughts. We always love to hear from you. Thank you very much to all the patrons that support the show and make it possible. And we will see you all in the next episode. Bye. Bye, everybody. Bye. Bye.